Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello. I'm freshly back from Manchester. Well, possibly not that fresh, actually, because I drove uh, through much of the night and also spent some time in Torquay uh, before that. But we'll get to that later. Firstly, though, Steve, we do need to talk about Theresa May. (laughs) Well, we do. It was magic, wasn't it? Oh, well, it was quite something. I mean, clearly there has never been such a calamitous leader's speech. No. Ever. I'm trying to think of how it could possibly have got worse, and I was... I can only think that if she survives next year, someone will give her a puppy and a kitten to pet and she will accidentally crush both <laughs> of them to death on on stage. The thing is... I can't... You know, it could be... It's up there with the, you know, the, the elastic... Snapping in your pants, isn't it, and falling down? I'm which I that always, didn't which I mean, that would have. I thought that was going to be the finale, but I always hoped that that would happen while Thatcher was speaking. Um, it's like a Judy um, Finnegan and moment. You, exactly, <laughs> and you just hear a big twang. It would have been better, actually. It would have been, actually, and they were red, white, and blue <laughs> Brexit bloomers. Actually, what has happened is that she has got the pity of the nation. Not, not from me. A, a large amount of people uh, feel sorry for her. And as a leader who was hoping to be seen as strong and stable only a few months ago yeah. and was hoping to reboot not only her, her leadership but her party's standing in the country, the last thing you want is sympathy. Yes, um, I agree. But let's go through the... Although I will say that... As Alistair Campbell, very more a more erudite man than myself, writes in the New European this week, Alistair says it is hard to feel sympathy for a prime minister who's put herself in a position of doing a job she can't do and trying to manage a task she can't manage. And that was written prior to the speech. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. Let's go through the three main problems in her speech, and okay. then maybe get to a fourth. The three obvious ones. Yes. There were coughs at the beginning, which obviously I was watching, um, I was there and I was watching very closely and there were coughs and I actually saw her address the Police Federation conference some years ago as Home Secretary and there were were issues then with coughs and that was quite a high profile speech, she was up against it then. So I wonder if this is a bad cold or if there is a nervous, nervous reaction. Cough, yeah. to... There was a few moments when she cleared her throat, but then, of course, 
Lee Nelson stands up Lee and Nelson. hands a comedian Lee Nelson. I think comedian is stretching it in my opinion, but prankster. Um, yeah, but but he certainly he's livened a, up the Tory conference because up until then it was very dull. He's a prankster, isn't he? Yeah, um, you've got to say. I mean, I, I, I'm not. When I've seen Lee Nelson's comedy routine, <laughs> I haven't thought it to be that it was a routine. It wasn't that comedic. However, his stunts are generally. Well, he's certainly got balls because he has. I don't even take swastika, a picture of the... swastika balls in the case of Donald Trump, which was a That's great right, stunt. Yes. But I mean, the the you know the 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 Sepp Blatter thing is is a defining image, and yeah. unfortunately for Lee Nelson, I think the defining image of this one is actually the letters falling off behind her, isn't it? Maybe, maybe so. But it just I'll just explain what happened with the press. So a lot of us were in the hall, a lot were in the press room, about fifty fifty. Those of us who dashed out of the conference hall to try and confront this chap, missed the routine of him going round and introducing himself to Boris. And So by the time he got out, it was our understanding, as you'll see from the video on the yes. New European website, that this was some disgruntled party member rather than yeah, Lee yeah. Nelson. Which, what a great story that would have been yeah. if that was actually true. So we thought it was somewhat of a better story. By the time we got back inside, Theresa May had completely collapsed and could barely speak. So part two of this is the cough. Surely, some sympathy for the cough. Uh, well, it's, uh, yeah, we all cough. Middle-aged lady with a cough. Yeah, we feel a little bit of sympathy for that. The cough certainly got worse though after she'd been handed that P forty-five. Yes, well, it would do, wouldn't it? It completely knocked her off her stride. That, and then of course the third interruption. Although uh, I don't think Theresa May was actually aware of it, but the letters falling off. The I mean, letters falling off. Literally, couldn't get any worse could it just the most incredible comedy sketch it was it really was good i mean the what you've got to remember though is that it is when tested the most that we reach deep within ourselves and we find that our capacity to rise to the challenge before us may well be limitless which is what she said (laughs) which is also what president bartlett said in the west wing which is the fourth thing that we haven't really got onto yet i think we kind of we kind of accept now, don't we, that there is going to be plagiarism of these rote... Well, the reason, you know, I'll tell you the reason... like eagles and all of this I'll tell nonsense. you the reason, that, and this is not the first time, of course, there are lots of people who work in and around politics who who learn to love politics by watching The West Wing and... Yes, and, and I let can Bartlett see Bartlett will be their favourite um, episode, I'm sure. I yes. think that's the one that this speech is in. So it's no surprise that these things creep in. No, it's not. But yes, that well, that was somewhat lost. Um, and in fact, I was thinking about about writing along those lines before before she stood up, and then you know we had lots more to write about. Uh, but the fact that the fact that the lettering also said you know build, building the country you deserve yes. or whatever it was, and they couldn't even build a sign. Actually. I know. I know. I mean, the 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 shame that the O out of country didn't go <laughs> first is. Is that is the that's probably the only thing that went right for them? There isn't is it? still someone, at least someone, on Theresa's side up there watching over her. If he hadn't been, <laughs> if he hadn't, yeah, exactly. If he hadn't been sitting down there, I, I just the image of Boris Johnson with a hammer on the <laughs> other side of the, you know. But maybe it was part of one of his family, one of his extended family. Let's talk about the stuff that was actually in the speech yeah. because. It wasn't great, was it? It wasn't a lot. Well, I mean, it seemed like quite a lot uh, when I first sat down with the speech. So as she was speaking, we obviously get a, a version of the speech to read. How long was it? Because she spoke for like over an hour, didn't well, she? She did. She spoke for about 15 minutes and yes. she spluttered for about 45. Um, 
I'm not sure how long it was. The chaos that surrounded it made all that kind of thing, um, you know, difficult to to get on top of. But it was, it was like over an hour. She was certainly on her feet for over an hour. Yeah, it was but like we, an episode of the Fast Show, wasn't it, with Coffin Bob Fleming? <laughs> you know, some random bloke. Brilliant! All of this things falling off. You know, Paula. Paula's, you know, weather map falling down and stuff like that. It was, it was the fast show. Those conference. I sat down with the speech and and had a look through it for the policy, and I was pleased that there was something because, to be perfectly honest, there'd not been a great deal before. No. I mean, we were told, oh, tuition fees. That was on Saturday evening. I think we were given a sniff of some tuition fees, and I thought they were going to match Labour or at least get somewhere close. A freeze that will save you three hundred quid a year if you're earning over twenty five grand, I think it was, yeah. or even more. Seems like small fry, really. I know that they're saying, "Well, Labour are promising the earth and can't deliver." I understand that, but there's just not enough there to get hold of the public. It's not that exciting, is it? The stuff that was in Theresa May's speech. I mean, the council house thing. I know that there's some concern, even with the number ten, about trying to out Corbyn. Corbyn. I mean. I don't think you can out Corbyn Corbyn. No. There are certainly people within the Tory party who prefer much more clearly defined battle lines where the Tories can... And I thought we were going to get that as well earlier in the week when she was talking about in defence of the free market. And But with that and the energy price cap, it seemed like stuff that was pretty much in the manifesto it wasn't, being reheated. It wasn't really, yeah, it wasn't very exciting. And it didn't work the first time round. No. I mean, there was the policy announcement the day before about this big lion that we're going to hire that's going to start roaring. Well, it's that the same lion. Quite exciting. It's the same lion that's uh, been modelling for UKIP, actually. UKIP's sad lion. Yeah, but we'll get to UKIP. He looks a bit like Cedric the lion after he died, I think. <laughs> well, it was voted on, and that's the end of it. Or maybe yeah. not, but we'll talk about that. Well, um, who knows about UKIP votes, as we will come on to. Later yeah. On. What are people saying about... Uh, I mean, obviously we'll cover this with Boris Johnson, but Theresa May is, is now... This is, the, this is the end, isn't it? Yes, I think... Not the immediate. I don't think anyone is going to stand up in the 1922 committee and say she must go or the, there's going to be 50 MPs. It doesn't need that many, though, does it? That's the issue. There were certainly conversations in the Midland Hotel less than an hour yesterday afternoon with backbench MPs chatting quietly about what do we do now. Right. I think the issue probably... How do you hear them chatting quietly? Do you just sidle up to them? Yes. Yes. <laughs> with an ear you, trumpet. No, with wine. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, OK. Yeah, um, that sounds more plausible, yeah. There are backbench MPs talking to journalists about conversations that are going on. Let's look back to IDS. Yes. And... The quiet man who was turning up the volume. And which is now the second worst conference uh, leader's speech in history. Yes. Um, He's here to, um, the quiet man is here to stay. Yeah, and how long did he stay for? Three weeks. A couple weeks. of hours, yeah. Three weeks. Was it really three weeks? Yeah, so God, I They're brutal, aren't they, the Tories? This idea that she is one more balls up away from going is, is seems to be quite plausible to me. I think the balls up has happened now. I think that I think that I think there are things in motion now that will will get rid of her. I don't think she needs to make any more cock-ups. But the um, the idea that she could carry on um, to Brexit and the likes of Boris and Davis and whatnot could blame her for the fallout and then start afresh, which was a perfectly 
plausible and good idea, frankly, yeah. is starting to end because uh, she is now being damaging to the party. And as soon as someone within the Tories this morning said to me, the last thing we want is a Prime Minister that gets the public's pity. And as soon as you've got that, you need a new leader. Mm. Um, and I think that that's exactly where we are at now. People are feeling sorry for her. Um, and then I know you're not, but lots of people out there who may have been thinking, shall I vote for her or not, are feeling sorry for her. And they might feel sorry for her as a person, but do you want a leader who can't finish a speech? And then when the other thing I is... Would, I would prefer the, it if it was one of her speeches, <laughs> yeah. If it had been a barnstorming speech full of great policy and full of stuff that the country could get behind, then... The party could have really come out and said, you know, look at the policy, which they've done, but yeah. they've gone, look at the policy. Nah. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was just so much waffle again, wasn't it? There wasn't a great deal there. I mean, the stuff that they were, the stuff that Number Ten were briefing out beforehand was about the the personal stuff and the moving on from the Maybot and that type yeah. of thing. And I think I think that actually that bit of the speech was actually quite well crafted and quite quite well put together. Um, I mean, that'll all be completely forgotten now, of course. And the headline I wrote for the New European was Maybot Malfunctions. Hmm. And, and, and that's what it felt like immediately after the speech, rather than um, rather than Maybot Banished. Yes. Um, and people are saying, oh, she appears to be more human. I'm not sure. I think she she just appeared to be broken and tired and She done. does look a bit tired, doesn't she? I think she's done. Yeah. Boris Men in grey suits. Or men in white coats. You don't know, do you? <laughs> One of them is going to come for her. Yeah, yeah. Men in grey suits, probably. I think. Yeah, yeah. Is Boris the next leader? Well, in his mind, he's already the leader. I would imagine. He's very it's fascinating, divisive. isn't it? He. This is it. He is so divisive. There are. When you looked at, I was. I was looking at um, uh, the reaction of some Tory activists. Who were in the? Uh, who were in the, uh, some of the some of the few who'd made it through all of the speeches, uh, who were asked to rate um, the three Brexiteer speeches, and they were all you know they were talking about how wonderful Boris was, and what a natural comedian he is, and all of this. So there are clearly some Boris true believers still, aren't there? Absolutely, and I think there are a certain number of MPs. Nadine Doris is obviously a, uh, is obviously one um, who. Love Boris and, and believe in Boris, and I, yeah, I'm sure there. Is, I'm sure that's the same in the country as well. That you have to say among his colleagues, he doesn't appear to be that well liked, does he? I think that damning piece in the Times: yeah. nine nine sort of cabinet ministers uh, lining up to have a go at him. Obviously anonymously, the the um, the. I mean, Philip Lee. The justice minister breaking yeah. ranks on yeah. on Twitter to say that you know we, we should be condemning what he said about cert, there, which of course we should. There was lots of, but even before that, even before we got to that fringe after his speech, yeah. because the rules rules are you should never do a fringe after your after your speech because you go after the cheers that you got You're in the conference hall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he did, mind you, that wouldn't have stopped Boris, would it? Boris but, is Boris. Yeah, Boris is Boris. Let Boris be Boris. Let Boris be Boris. Yeah. <laughs> that was the episode of the West Wing that no one saw. That was yes, justifiably. Um, but even before, even before that nonsense, he was getting slapdowns um, by the cabinet fairly openly. You know, yeah. I don't think he cares. No, May can't get rid of him, and I think he thinks he doesn't need anyone else. And what I found 
um, spoke to a lot of people about Boris during conference and what I found were that they're pretty much split. But from where he was a year ago or even two, three years ago, that is actually quite a shift. Mm. I think a lot of people before before the speech wanted uh, were desperate for Miss Karen until after Brexit. Yes. And now I think that's they're dawning on them that even that's unlikely. I think that they might turn back to Boris as the only person who can take on Corbyn. Yes. But there is a lot of anger there was a lot of anger going into this conference aimed at Boris by people who used to be I'm not talking about ministers and and some MPs but activists and members who like Boris even who enjoyed his speech and clapped along and cheered and laughed and joked with him who think he needs to button his lip. Yeah. But I think now in a leadership if there was a leadership contest I think they'd go back because I think they, they think he's got the star quality to beat Corbyn. It's very rarely the the assassin, is it, who becomes the Prime Minister. I'm sure that Boris is trying to find a stalking horse somewhere, though. Yeah, well, I'm sure... That's he, what he needs. I'm sure he probably is. But um, he is in the Heseltine position, isn't he? he? Similar hair as well. Similar hair. Yeah, sadly, not similar views. No. The 22nd of November is the... Or what would it be? It'd be the 27th anniversary of Thatcher announcing that she wasn't going into the second ballot. What a marvellous day that was. Well, I remember where were it. You, where were you on that day? I can tell you, I can tell you where I was. Trousers. I was in short trousers. I was just coming to the end of primary school, I would imagine. But I was also in the heart of uh, West Yorkshire. So I remember quite a lot of cheers going up. It was a, it was a great day. It was a great day. Uh, but somebody with champagne on the bus that I was on, <laughs> I remember. That was very good. <laughs> Manchester was an odd thing, but it's kicked off with a really great event, actually. Yes. The um, the Stop Brexit March, yes, which I attended from beginning to end. There were some great speakers. I think Alistair doing Ode to Joy on the bagpipes. Alistair Campbell. Alistair Campbell doing Ode to Joy on the bagpipes was a particular highlight. <laughs> um, but lots of uh, new European um, yep. friends there. Bonnie Greer, AC Grayling. Yes. Um, Vince Cable also spoke. Um, it was it was really good, friendly, well organised protest. Yeah. Whether anyone's listening, I don't know, but it you know it was done in the right spirit. And of course, we arrived in Manchester with a really quite a nasty tone, and there was fears, certainly from the, some of the police I spoke to, that there were potential flashpoints because um, there were there were two protests going on. That's right. Um, one was a so one was ours, wasn't it? And yeah. what the other one was a just we don't like we hate the Tories. Yeah. Yeah. Tories um, out. The numbers were very impressive. Yeah. I've been to lots of protests in my time, and I'm terrible at trying to count heads. And I was right down the front of the march, but there was definitely more than twenty five thousand people there. Good. Um, and I know that some some other people have been saying closer to fifty. Um, yeah. I could. I, that's perfectly feasible, but I just simply couldn't see from where I was. But as we were turning corners, I don't know. Well, you know, well, you know Manchester. I don't know. Well, the listener knows Manchester. As you come down. Oxford Road. As we we were ter- we turned off to the left, maybe about halfway down, the crowd was still coming through the start point, which was up at the the park. Um, oh right, sort okay. Of good half a mile up there. So there was a lot of people. That there. is a lot of people. And yeah. the float was great. So congratulations to the organisers. Uh, it was a really smashing day, and I hope that um, if you guys were there, you enjoyed it as well. Who did the best speech? Best speech. I liked Cameron Clack. Yeah. Who was the uh, student that spoke at Labour Party conference? And got some stick at Labour Party conference because oh, of yes, I thought he was good. 
yeah, Cameron, get in touch and come on the podcast. That'd be great. Yeah, he'd be good. What about you, Kip? What about Ask you, me Kip? About you, Kip. Oh, tell me about you, Kip. Um, so, well, Richard, you went to the UKIP conference. I did. I went to UKIP conference and we I arrived. Were, we were like Morrissey. We were expecting a different result, weren't we? I think we'd been prior. Well, we. I was certainly. A, a believer. You just said it is definitely going to be, be Amory Water. Water. Let me take you through some of the some of the chaos of UKIP conference. It, so I arrived very early, um, having driven through the night, which I seem to have been doing rather a lot, um, to Torquay, um, which is lovely in early uh, morning, and I got to my hotel and went to conference hall, where I expected there to be gangs of skinheads. Yeah, swigging beer with EDL flags, waiting yeah. for their man or indeed in this case woman yeah. to win, but there wasn't. There was a dozen or so local labour activists who were very polite, very sweet, and they were even quite polite to the UKIP members. And there was maybe fifty or so UKIP members who were very polite, very yeah. sweet to everyone. What sort, of age, the hall. what sort of age are the UKIP members? Well, it's funny you should ask that, because I did a quick sort of scan of the conference hall, which was full um, by the time the results were announced. There was one black face yeah. um, that was leadership candidate. Natural or uh, <laughs> not black top? That was Mr. Curtin, who was one of the lead, who was one of the uh, leadership candidates. He sadly, didn't win. He sadly didn't win. There was maybe seven or eight percent female right. who had been dragged along by their other right. halves. There were maybe five or six percent under thirty. Five or six percent. And then there was this massive block of white forty. Five to death aged men. Yeah. Dressed the same. Yeah. What's the dress code? Well, it's def- always tweed, of course. Tweed, yeah. Um, although there is some Fair variations on that. There is some variations on that. They are a fan of the corduroy. Yeah. And corduroy co- trouser. Full corduroy suit in one Ooh. instance. But definitely a trouser. And then the yellow purple tie. Yes. Is a big. I have a, a tie that's very similar to a UKIP tie. I do. It's not no purple. It's navy blue and yellow. And people have asked me why the UKIP tie. When Anne Marie didn't win, the relief was, was it palpable? Extraordinary. And the conclusion I came to. No in need piece, for the tenor pads that I bought this morning. And they were all. <laughs> they were all thinking. I think. Do you know what? I couldn't find anyone who voted for Anne Marie Waters. Not one yeah. person. Even beforehand, I spent hours trying to find someone. There was no one. Yeah. And I think the truth of the matter is that a lot of the people that did had come in to try and to try and help her take over the party. Yes. I think the truth of the matter is that the UKIP faithful want UKIP to say stay exactly as it is, yeah. as a sort of old man's gentleman's club where they can get together and moan, have a few nice drinks, play their bingo, as they did on uh, on Friday evening in my hotel. UKIP bingo? Yeah, you, well, it wasn't UKIP bingo, but there were a lot of UKIP doing it. And just let life carry on as it was. They want to carry on moaning about Brexit yep. for as long as they possibly can. They have concerns about Islam and that, but... It's not really number one no, for them. No, it's not. It's still Brexit. It's still Europe. Yep. So they can happily carry on doing what they, what they were doing. doing. One of the funniest things I saw as I as the um, announcement was made, uh, a, a call, I, I was there on my own uh, for the New European, but lots of um, fellow journalists were there in pairs, or you know, there was gangs of them all working for the same publication. One looked at the other, 
and and uh, and she just said to him, "Quick, Google him," <laughs> because no one thought that Henry Bolton was going to win until sort of mid morning when his name started to get mentioned quite seriously. Yeah, but I was speaking to to people in the party who told me as it was being read out, definitely Whittle. Yes, and then Whittle's name was read out, and he you know, my source was scarpering off somewhere. Um, yeah, he was. It was a. It was bizarre. It was not the the result that I was expecting. Um, Everything is well again in the world of UKIP. What happened to Anne Marie Waters after the announcement? Because well, presumably she was there. Was she, she was. Um, all I saw was a flash of the back of her head as she left. She so she just left straight. I away. couldn't find her anywhere. I think the Telegraph got to her before um, before she left. But right. Okay. I, th- I don't think anyone else did. How would you say she's taken it? Uh, well, I, I'm sure she'll be offered a big job in the UKIP front bench and will go from strength to strength and yeah. build a political career from here and, and maybe could even be, be leader in the future and maybe even take UKIP to power. Yeah. That's what she, I would imagine. Her tweet immediately afterwards was, oh. Today, colon, jihad won, truth nil. Ah. Oh. So maybe not. Ah, oh, maybe not. That would be good if she did the football results like that every day and then she started retweeting people who were, she retweeted some some old bloke who'd cut up his membership card his UKIP membership card oh. he was probably and, just confused he was trying to cut up his credit card <laughs> and done a photo of it and then quite a few more my favourite one was she retweeted this bloke who I think mostly in caps or mostly sort of with odd capital letters so it looked a bit like a ransom demand he had written <laughs> The fight for justice has only just started. The battle for Britain will never end. Right. Then he, with that, he'd put, he'd done a sort of photo montage, and there was Anne Marie's head floating in the sky next to Big Ben, <laughs> and underneath it, in beautiful script, he had written, "Through me, your voice will be heard." <laughs> you just ah. went. It's fantastic. That's brilliant. It was I, really beautiful. Oh, I hope she sets something up. So oh, she's we, continued to she's continued to make clear her displeasure with this, you know. And this is the will of the people, isn't it? The will of the UKIP people. Absolutely. She, I, I, we will miss her if she goes. Away. We, I, we will definitely miss her. But you know, she lost. Just get on with it. I think is the phrase which I seem to remember hearing before. I don't think she's that worried, worried about Brexit, though. <laughs> no. I don't think she could give two oots about Brexit, no, frankly. Right. She wants a street war. Right then, I'm going to be speaking to Jerry Scott next about the things that have made her angry from Tory conference. And then Steve will rejoin me in a few minutes for Brexiteer of the Week. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Welcome back. I'm joined by Jerry. Hello. And we are going to talk about the things that have made you angry last week. You got angry on the last podcast. Yeah, I'm quite good at it. And we had quite a good reaction to your anger. <laughs> it seems that there's a lot of anger out there. Um, so we thought we'd ask you again. Now, you've been looking specifically at Tory party conference, I think. Yeah, I have. And did it make you angry as a whole? 
as a whole, I mean, lots of things make me angry. I'm, I'm a very angry person. But yeah, it did make me angry. <laughs> um, but it did make me laugh as well. It was a laugh. It, it made me sleepy until the very <laughs> last moment, pretty much. But tell us about the two things that made you angry. So there's a couple of things. Um, the first is this British dream thing. Ah. Um, so many... When I was a young journalist, we were told not to write the headline. It should have been a dream, but it turned into a nightmare. And yet I found myself writing that exact uh, intro uh, when it came to that speech. I think you would have been doing a disservice had you not. Yes, I think that was right. But yeah, so Theresa May stood there, didn't she? And she said that life should be better for the next generation. Um, And she promised this British dream. I don't really know what the British dream is. Is it chips for dinner? Oh. Chips for dinner. <laughs> Copper in bed in the morning, I reckon. No, chips, no. chips in bed in the morning. <laughs> or is it retiring to Spain when you reach 60 but refusing to call yourself an immigrant? I think that's the <laughs> British dream, really. <laughs> for me, this made me angry because getting the British dream, the way that Theresa May described it with you know getting on the housing ladder, having better opportunities, seems to me, to my generation, completely unreachable. Um, I, I hate the term, but I am a millennial. Um, you very much are. I very much am. Um, I love avocados and everything, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't have the same opportunities that, or the same British dream that my parents or my grandparents would have had. It's just not, it's not the same. Um, for me, my British dream would be finding some rented accommodation where I don't have to sell a kidney to pay the deposit or for rents to be low enough that I... I'm not forced to have a flatmate. I really like living with someone personally, but it'd be nice to have the choice. Um, How much did you get for that kidney, by the way? It's, it's uh, prices are low. Prices mm. are low. Mm. I had to haggle. It was terrible. But, you know, look, I say renting because I am never going to be able to afford to buy my own house. Yeah, that is the the realistic take on it. And but surely then you should be cheered rather than angered by the um, by the housing house build announcement. <sighs> yes, but it's not. It's not the same. It's not. It's not fair. <laughs> and I know I sound like a snowflake. I sound like I'm stamping my feet. But I am cheered by the house building announcement. But I also just don't see it coming to fruition. Well, that's the problem. How many people have promised to solve the housing crisis, and how many have actually achieved that? Absolutely. And how many of these homes are going to be affordable? Um, and that's why linking this British dream with home ownership just seems nonsensical to me. Um, like I say, it's going to be great if we build homes. We do need them. But are any of them going to be in the reach of me, my friends? We're professional people. We work in proper jobs. Is journalism a proper no, job? No. <laughs> Actual jobs, though. And if it's difficult for us, there are people who are living in you know much worse situations yeah. who are much worse off. Um, well, let me ask you a question. I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you. No. You think I'm a lot older than you, but no. I'm actually only a little bit older than you. 28, aren't you, Richard? Yeah. And um, so let me ask a question from someone who's a little bit older. If the British dream is linked so much to home ownership, that's not the case in Europe, in, you know, in great parts of Europe where owning your own home isn't an issue. Lots of people rent either off the state or off mm-hmm. private landlords. What's the problem? Why are you so obsessed with owning a house? Well, that's the other thing. I'm actually not. I don't really care about owning a home. But I do care about affording to live. Rent is high across the country. And it's not just rent, it's um, agency fees as Mm. well. Mm. And I know there has been the promise to kind of bring those down and get rid of them. But 
they are a real barrier to people having their independence and moving on. You know, there's a reason that people my age are living in HMOs, in shared housing. Yeah. Um, the other half of that coin is, Theresa May also talked about student debt. Yeah. Which it made me angry as well. I'm a very angry person. What did you think about the tuition fees announcement? Well, actually, I didn't think it was the worst thing. But, um, it's a long way short of what other people are... Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think it was the worst thing because I think I've come to expect that students are just going to be screwed. Yeah. Um, I paid the £9,000 a year fees. And when I left university, I graduated with around £45,000 worth of debt because living loans are wow. into that. Yeah, wow. exactly. Since that, that's only gone up because of the interest. And Do these debts count against your credit score and stuff? Not not like normal debt. Right. Not if I had, you know, a bank loan of right. 45 grand. Right. It's only this year I started paying it back. I doubt I'll pay it back within the, you know, 30-year time limit. And how having that debt still hanging over me is going to help me achieve my British dream, I really don't know. You know, this is a massive difference between my generation and previous generations. I remember sitting in my A-level politics class and... um, Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. (laughs) Yesterday. Um, And my politics teacher um, telling me that not only did he not have to pay tuition fees, but in fact, he was paid in grants to go to university. Yes, yes. Well, I'm not that old that I remember that. I did have to repay some money. Yeah. um, but uh, but not not nearly anywhere near as close. The other thing that's making me angry is um, Ian Duncan Smith. Ah, I can see where you're going with this one. Yes, um, at, um, he was at a fringe event, wasn't he? He's speaking about men. He's yes. very worried about men. Yes, he's very well. concerned about men. Well, specifically uh, specifically single men. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh dear, this sounds like an old news of the world story. Uh, (laughs) in in Duncan Smith's words levels of addiction are high there's a lot Uh of criminal activity dysfunctional behaviour and multiple parenting yes well I'm married but still partaking all of this well absolutely (laughs) (laughs) but um, none of this is the fault of men themselves you see it's um, it's down to women who are not marrying them Ah. it's our fault (laughs) yes I mean you need to save some men (laughs) what are you doing here on this podcast get out there and marry some men (laughs) I mean, who wouldn't want a violent, criminal, <laughs> drug, alcohol or porn addicted man from children from previous relationships scattered around the country? Who wouldn't want to marry that man? <laughs> there should be a dating app for those men. Well, I'm about to tell you, as a single young woman on Tinder, these men are there and they yeah. think they're God's gift to women. Yes. And they're the kind that tell you that you're ugly when you don't respond to them within an hour. Oh, um, what, people actually would do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Tinder's a world of its own, Richard. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> I don't think I want to be abused by people online. Um, are you not already? I am, but not in dating apps. <laughs> um, but I want to know, why is it up to me to marry these men to make them upstanding citizens? That's a very good question. Um, living together isn't enough. No, Ian Duncan Smith no. said that is un- inherently unstable. Yes, yes. Um, and, but men out of wedlock, they're released to do all the things they wouldn't normally do. Mm. Um our reward, as women, for not marrying these edu- eligible bachelors is a collapse of self-worth, according to Ian Duncan Smith. I wonder what age Ian Duncan Smith got married at, because previous to that we can only assume that he was living some kind of debauched life. Well, I mean, he didn't do bad out of his marriage, did he? He was married a baron's daughter. 
Yeah, but how old was he before that? Well, I'd like to see the Ian Duncan single years. Yeah. <laughs> Running wild. Absolutely. Um, but basically, it's our duty, or our privilege, um, to marry these men to keep them off the streets. They might be violent, but only in the home, and that's all right, we don't worry about that. No. Um, on a serious note, though, a lot of women do marry these men, and yes, you know, because they love them, sure. But, as a rule, work done by women is undervalued and it's underpaid and this means that often women who might already be living you know on low incomes in poverty they're financially dependent yeah um i think what what, what, i mean there was a lot of i've been to a million fringes i didn't manage to get to one that was nearly as interesting as the boris one or this one (laughs) sadly but it is potluck often and i think the the views are just deeply deeply out of sync with modern britain and it's this conference in Manchester this week felt like it was completely out of sync mm-hmm. with the rest of the world from beginning to end. It felt odd and disconnected and awkward from the get-go, really. And I think that Boris's comments on Libya yeah. and IDS's comments there on on women just prove that there are elements of this party that are still way, way behind where you millennials are (laughs) i mean absolutely and i think at this stage by being single if anything i'm not doing my civic duty yes Um, and you can only blame the overcrowding of the prison service on me well (laughs) (laughs) well i think you should bang your fists Mm -hmm. and uh go and find yourself a man we've got brexiteer of the week next brexiteer of the week welcome back steve brexiteer of the week brexiteer of the week and What a week it's been. Jacob Rees-Mogg, we've not mentioned him in this podcast, I don't think, or I've not mentioned him in this podcast. He told a Tory fringe meeting at the conference, I think our Prime Minister is a hero of 10,000 years, and I welcome every waking breath of the Prime Minister, our great leader. Which which just shows that taking the piss was actually a thing in the 18th century. Um, Craig McKinley, do you know who he is? He uh, is the South Thanet MP. He beat Nigel Farage all those years ago. That's right. Uh, he um, He's also facing trial next May in connection with uh, with his, his uh, expenses in that, that by-election, uh, the 2015 by-election. He spoke at a Tory conference fringe meeting and said that unemployed young Brits should get on their bikes and pick fruit on Kent f- uh, fruit farms alongside gorgeous EU women. Yeah, yeah. These are quotes. He said, why wouldn't a youngster from Glasgow without a job, because they don't have many jobs in Glasgow, obviously, why wouldn't they come down to the south to work for a farm in the summer with loads of gorgeous EU women working there? Get on your bike and find a job. Now, won't all the gorgeous EU women have been sent home because of Brexit? Isn't this the fatal flaw in Craig... McKinley's Swiss Tony-esque argument. It, it, there is a there is a problem there. The other problem is it's a long way to cycle. It is a long way, isn't it? But you know, but maybe they'll be. Depends how gorgeous those women are, I suppose. May, you know, in the same way that they have a highly skilled visa, and they, that allows <laughs> maybe there'll be a highly gorgeous visa. I will never work abroad. Yeah, well, that's this is it. It's been it's been a, a bit of a bad week for rock and roll, hasn't it? Yeah. Poor old Tom Petty. Yes, very that sad. is bad. Very sad. But Morrissey and somebody that I 
love, although increasingly with the you know fingers over the uh, behind uh, behind uh, you know closed fingers, Marquis Smith. Let's start with Morrissey. I think this is better known. He played a BBC Six Music gig at uh, Maida Vale live gig. It, frankly, it wasn't very good. Did he play um, any any of any songs? He didn't play any Smith songs. No. Did he play any early Morrissey? Uh, he played some reasonably obscure Morrissey. Did he? He played a lot of new, very, Did he play very Kit? new material. My son's called Kit. Morrissey has a son. I'm, oh, does I'm, he? I'm a massive, massive, heartbroken Morrissey fan. Uh, the, the, the main headline was that Morrissey broke off from one lumpy new song to tell the audience that he... I'm not going to do the accent again. To tell the audience he was surprised... I'm surprised... Oh, I'm surprised to see Anne-Marie Waters is the new UKIP leader. Oh, she isn't because the vote was rigged. Mm. And then there was sort of silence among the metropolitan elitists mm. in his audience and then he accused them of not reading the news. Mm. It's very sad for me, this, but Morrissey, I think, probably would be better off retiring. Yeah. I think he he would have been better off retiring about twenty years ago. To I be think, fair, I'm not sure I'd go uh, that far. Yes, I wish he'd retired a long time ago. Actually, Marquis Smith, leader of the. If you if you don't know about Marquis Smith, the, he is the leader of a Manchester band called The Fall. Uh, he has uh, he leads a lifestyle which I would say is not conducive to uh, being alive. Being alive is a good way to do it. Certainly not to being the creative powerhouse genius that he was uh, uh, in the years from um, from the inception of the fall in nineteen seventy seven to, to pretty much through until the the, the, the mid nineteen nineties when he was you know pretty much unwackable. I think uh, he has told Louder Than War magazine, "I thought Brexit was great, and I still do." Yeah, I mean, he's you know he, he's contrary Mary isn't he Marquis Smith but he, he he sort of likes to disagree with the uh, with the norm um, but I think this is sort of deeper the deeper held view with him um, when they asked him to explain he said this and this if I tell you that if I'm going to repeat this now and this might change how you think about Brexit yeah completely well, after, no one will ever hear it I'll so why do you why do you? That's right. This this could be the final episode. Why do Why do you think? Why do you support Brexit, Mark? Middle class kids here want to go to Europe, but why do they think all those European kids are here? They're the sort of people who go on about India, but now I can bargain with Spain and Portugal. But the middle class groups who don't sell any records, they used to get the same money as the fall. Now that's well out of the window. Do you know what I mean? It's incredible, isn't it? Wow. So that's it's it. It's all falling. The scales have yeah. fallen away from my eyes. The cloud is lifting. I've got it. And the India point absolutely cleared everything up for me. Yeah. I was once promised an interview with Marquis e. Smith. I um, think you've been a, it's a lucky escape for you. I it was going to be in person. Yeah. Then it was cancelled. Yeah. Then it was going to be on the phone. Then it was cancelled. Then the phone rang and it was the drummer. Yeah, oh good. That's who, exactly who you want to speak to. In the fall, yeah. In the fall, yeah. yeah. He, he wasn't the drummer for long, I don't think. No, he um, wouldn't have been. And I said, oh, I don't mean to be rude, but I really, it's Mark or nobody. And the record company told me it would definitely be Mark. Drummer rang back. <laughs> Doing an impression of Mark? No. 
Daniel Hannan is the is the or Dan Hanan or Dan the Nan Hanan as I think we're going to have to <laughs> yes, call him now. Yes. The brain of Brexit. That's right. Before the Conservative Party conference unfolded, I actually thought one of the worst things that would happen to the Conservatives this week would be Daniel Hannan going on uh, Brexit Reality, which is Channel 4's excellent strand. He appeared in Wakefield, an audience of Leave voters, some of whom are now regretting it, obviously, and he said that our curry is going to get better after we leave the EU, I mean, it's an incredible thing to say in Wakefield, isn't it? You know, <laughs> what do you think these chaps in Wakefield will want to hear uh, as he, you know, went up the country from Westminster? Anyway, uh, somebody in the audience then said, well, look, but after Brexit, and when you tighten the immigration rules, we're already finding that it's harder and harder for the top chefs um, to come from Southeast Asia anyway, and... and remote parts of India and and they are these people are brilliant and they actually don't want that much money because of where they come from um and how, what's what's going to happen there and and then Daniel Hannan turned to him and said this guy owned a, a chain of curry houses and he said I think you'll agree you could be doing more to train up people in this country to be curry chefs so so mm. to, let's just to paraphrase what he's saying Daniel Hannan is saying our curry is going to get even better because all the best chefs are going to leave and they're going to be replaced by trainees to whom Daniel Hannan will read out selections from Madder Jeffrey's Curry Bible <laughs> and go, have you got it yet? So Daniel Hannan, never a dull moment. <laughs> and he is the Brexiteer of the week. And what do you think of Nigel Farage? I think it's a f- That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, please do pick up a copy of the paper. It's on the newsstands now. And it's not just politics. It's not just Brexit. There is loads of culture, loads of arts, loads of other stuff in there as well. It is packed full of really good content. We've got something a bit special now. Our editor at large, who we mentioned earlier playing the bagpipes at the uh, Stop Brexit March in Manchester, is going to play us out with his own rendition of our of Europe's theme tune and our own theme tune here at the end of the New European podcast. So this is Alistair Campbell on his bagpipes doing Ode to Joy. Take it away, Alistair. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.